say that there are thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of churches all around the world talking about the same thing today. That Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, rose from the grave. And that that means something to you and me. And so we stand together with the body of Christ around the world, millions, perhaps a billion people in church this weekend, somewhere in that vicinity, uh, people coming to church to honor God and to celebrate what Jesus did. So this is an awesome part of coming together as the body of Christ. We've been going through a series called If here in church, and this will be uh, dovetailed into that series as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus. But we've been talking about if, conditional promises of God. The word if comes up in the Bible uh, about 1,700 times. There's a lot of times the word if is in there. And here's the deal. Our God does not change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we don't need to worry about standing on a a foundation that if it holds up, we'll be okay. Our God is solid. However, he does respond to us differently depending on what we do. If we walk by faith, he responds to us differently than if we walk in unbelief. If we walk in obedience to God's call, he responds to us differently than if we walk in disobedience, if we walk in rebellion. And so we can expect different things from God if we act this way. We can expect other things from God if we act a different way. So that's why we're covering this. Because everybody knows about the unconditional love of God. That God loves you unconditionally. There's nothing you can do to make God not love you. He just loves you. He's just that way. There's nothing you can do to mess that up. But people extrapolate that too far and think, well, then I have all the promises. Well, you don't. God loves people that go to hell. That's not super great. Are you feeling good today? So what we want want to make sure that we're not on the wrong side of this deal, right? If, If the opportunities are there, let's grab them. Let's not miss things. And so we've been covering conditional promises of God and virtually everything has a a part for us to play in it. Um, Last week, last couple weeks, we've been talking about an amazing, amazing scripture. Uh, Matthew 21, 21 and 22. Jesus went to a fig tree and started looking for figs on it, but there weren't any figs on it because it wasn't the season for figs. So he curses the tree and it dies. It's a very bizarre situation. You know, uh, but I think it must be some sort of like a parable type of deal where we're supposed to be ready in season and out of season. I think that's it. But either way, he goes to a tree, yells at it, and it dies. You know, it's an amazing, amazing thing. The next day, the disciples show up. The tree's dead. It's all withered. It's done. And so here's what Jesus says to his disciples. I tell you the truth. If you have faith and if... If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And so we're thinking, well, if that's true, let's grab hold of it. Because man, wouldn't that be handy? 
And so we looked at different ways of understanding this. This word receive is, uh, it's, it's like take. It could be translated take very accurately. If you believe, you will take whatever you ask for in prayer. There's an active going to get involved in that word in the Greek. You'll go get. And we talked about understanding faith, how we can have faith, that we have faith in something for something. And both of those need to be right for it to work out. We need to have faith in God for his promises. If we put our faith in In people, in money, in our own health and strength, we can end up uh, being let down by that. We won't be let down by God, but we can put our faith in God for something he's not going to do. Just because we can read, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in in prayer, doesn't mean we get to manipulate God into doing whatever we want him to do. He's still just going to do the things he does. We can't ask for him to, you know, kill everybody we don't like. He's not going to do that. So we have to understand what's in bounds for us to believe for. And it's the things that are God's will, the things that he wants to have happen already anyway. So we trust in God for his promises. Then we talked about how faith is a fight. Did you know faith is a fight? Some people think faith is a magical easy button. But the Bible doesn't say press the magical easy button of faith. It says fight the good fight of faith. And so faith is something that takes perseverance over time. It takes conquering and overcoming. It takes standing in the midst of difficulties to believe God to get to the other side. It's not just an easy button that fixes all your problems in 15 seconds or less. Faith is a fight. We talked about different things to understand faith so that we could grab hold of the fullness of those verses. This week... Of course, we're going to talk about the resurrection. There are people all around the world talking about the resurrection. There's all kinds of fantastic themes and and different subplots and different messages coming all over the world. But what we're going to talk about here today is that Jesus rose from the grave 2,000 years ago. And he didn't just do that to prove that he had conquered death to show who he was, but he did that so that he could share that with us. So that we could get in on the resurrection power of Christ. He didn't do that to keep it for himself. He did that to show us that we can get in on the resurrection. Not just for the afterlife, but in this life as well. So that'll be the theme that we're talking about this morning. Now, the resurrection of Christ changed the world. Did you know that? Why is it 2016? Because Jesus rose from the grave. We'd have a different dating system if Jesus hadn't rose from the grave. Why do we have two-day weekends? Because Jesus rose from the grave. Before that, it was a one-day weekend. The Sabbath was on Saturday, and you worked six days a week. Remember the creation story, six days and one day of rest. It was a one-day weekend. Jesus rose from the grave on what we would call Monday, but Sunday was the first day of the work week. He rose from the grave on Sunday, so they started having the Sabbath on Saturday and the Lord's Day on Sunday. They celebrated the resurrection every week, and they quit going to work on Sunday, so then we got a two-day weekend. 
Now everybody can appreciate the resurrection and we get in a two day weekend, right? You know, praise God for that. But these are things that changed the world. Everything is different now because Jesus rose from the grave. And man, oh man, we can grab hold of that power. We can get in on the power that rose Jesus from the grave. Two ways, of course, we can do that. Everlasting life in heaven. You know, one of the things that's... I'm a first-generation believer. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And the idea of everlasting life with God is still just a shocking, amazing, incredible thing to me. And it's, it's bizarre to meet people who are bored with that concept. You know, like, yeah, okay, whatever. I knew I'm going to heaven, so whatever. You know, like, help me out with something else. Like, what? (laughs) That you're you're not going to die? That you're going to go to a place where there's no pain, there's no sickness, there's no death, there's no sin. Nobody's going to talk bad about you. You're not going to be a second-class citizen. You're going to be a co-heir with Christ, a child of the king. You get to be there for forever, and that's not that interesting to you? Like, whoa, that's just completely bizarre to me. Hallelujah, we get to get in on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but we get to live in resurrection power today because we can be born again. We can be brought into newness of life. The old is gone, the new has come. In Romans chapter 6, talking about baptism, Jesus or the Apostle Paul talks about how the power of Christ in uh, baptism is identifying with Christ in his crucifixion and then being lifted up is being brought into newness of life. The old is gone, the new has come and we are able to be born again, no longer having to be the depressed person that just doesn't see any purpose in life but who can rise up into being excited about being alive, smelling the, the cool air on Easter Sunday morning in Minnesota and thinking, oh, it's good to take a deep breath. You can go from having a disastrous marriage where you just, man, you just can't get along. You misunderstand each other all the time. It's just a disaster and a horrible, difficult, painful experience to having a new relationship where you can walk in love and respect and battle through life together, knowing you always have an ally. Now, faith is not a magical easy button, right? No, faith is a fight. And if you're fighting for your marriage, keep fighting. Amen? This is a battle. But guess what? That's the power of Christ, is to be born again. If you're somebody who looks at yourself and you don't like who you are, have you ever been disappointed with who you are? Don't you hate that? You know, like you're a little kid, everything's happy. Like, I've got a truck, you know, and you're, you're just happy. <laughs> Life is simple. And then after a while, you grow up and you think, how come I'm like this? How come I'm this guy? I want to be that guy. How come I can't do this? I want to be able to be better at this. You know, and, and you're disappointed with who you are. Well, the power of the resurrection is you can lay down that low self-esteem, that understanding that who you are just isn't good enough and you can realize, no, I'm a child of the king. 
I'm a, I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm somebody who God has made, fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm worth having around. I'm someone that the creator of the universe and all his creative capacity put me together. Hallelujah. It's good for me to be here. God put me here. You can have that as your understanding instead of thinking you're in the way, you're just a bother. You, what difference would it make if you weren't even here? Guess what? You're important. You're so important. God created you for everlasting life. So this is what we're talking about. We can get in on the power of God for resurrection. Our if this week is going to be an if that Jesus is talking about and he starts out a particular uh, conversation, a particular concept with this phrase. If anyone would come after me. That's where our if come from. If anyone would come after me. Now there's something exciting about that. If anyone would come after me. That means that we can come after him. You know, the disciples were asking Jesus, how do we get to the Father? We don't know how to do that. You're talking about these things. We don't know what you mean. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says, just follow me and you'll end up where you need to be. And he says, if anyone would come after me, I want to come after Jesus. I want to follow Jesus into resurrection power, into being able to ascend to heaven and be at the right hand of the Father. I want to be a co-heir with Christ. I want to live that out. And I want to live out his power in this life as well. Be born again. If anyone would come after me. So there's an if there. We can come after Jesus. We can follow him. We can receive the things he had. We can walk in his ways. We can grab hold of the new life in Christ. Isn't that exciting? I wonder what we might have to do in order to be able to grab a hold of that. What is this? What's the stuff after the if? Because isn't that the important thing? Let's look at the dialogue. Starting in... uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. 16:21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus is explaining the events of Holy Week to his disciples. He's telling them all the stuff that's going to happen ahead of time. So that they can understand, but they didn't get it. They thought he was telling parables and stuff. And so when he said, I'm going to raise from the dead, they're like, hmm, I wonder what that means, you know. And they they didn't understand it. They didn't take it straight forward. Verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall not happen to you. So Jesus is talking about how he's going to be mocked and, you know, tried and all these terrible things are going to happen to him. And Peter's like, no, forget it. We're not going to let this happen to you. We like you. I like Peter. It's a good heart. You know, but he was, he was dealing with superficial things. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now that's not very, very nice. Isn't it? I mean, Peter's just trying to defend him. Get behind me, Satan. Well, what Peter wanted to have happen was for the plan of salvation to get all messed up. Well, we can't have that. Jesus knew there was something way more important than his personal comfort at play here. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And so 
He's saying there are the things of God that are very, very important. And the things of men are not that important. And I'm going to grab a hold of, Jesus is saying, I'm going to grab a hold of the things of God. And then, verse 24, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So Jesus was explaining everything about Holy Week to the disciples. And he, he's saying, you can follow me. You can come with me. You can be part of this. But you're going to have to go through everything that that week entails. You're going to have to go through Good Friday to get to Easter Sunday. Isn't that something? He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what does that mean? You know, I, I, everybody, everybody, I meet lots of people that think that their best life is holding back on Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, I give him a little bit, but I'm not going to give him everything. Because if I gave Jesus everything, I'd have to move to Africa. And I don't want to move to Africa, so I know I better hold back from God. I want to be able to give God enough so I can go to heaven, but not enough so that I have to move to Africa. And that's just a bizarre mentality. Please don't be like that. Understand that serving Christ completely and fully is the fullest, greatest experience of life that you can have on this planet. Amen? Giving Him everything is where we get fullness of life. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But Jesus says, He must deny Himself, take up His cross, and follow Me. What would your life look like if you did this verse completely? Well, you'll probably have the same job. Same family, live in the same house, be dealing with the same financial issues, have the same circles of people that you know, (laughs) but you'll be carrying something with you into all those places that's different than if you're not carrying your cross through this world. Denying yourself and carrying your cross doesn't mean that you become a missionary to Africa. God needs doctors. God needs business owners. God needs students. God needs factory workers. The Lord needs people in every area of this world to be a light into the darkness, to carry the truth of God, to carry the love of God into every nook and cranny of our world. So denying yourself and carrying your cross. Now you might end up in Africa. Some people do. They sell everything they own. They move to Africa. But that's kind of rare. More often, you keep your job, you keep your house, you live a very similar life, but there's something very different on the inside. There's a purpose and a point. Now let's read the next verse, verse 25. Jesus says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. 
So, does it sound like a great thing? Carry your cross, deny yourself, carry your cross, and follow him. Is that like, yes, Pastor Mike, you keep preaching that, man. Deny yourself. Woo! Does that sound like fun? Here's the deal. Jesus knew carrying his cross was his best life he could have. You think Jesus is looking back now going, man, I wish I hadn't done that cross thing. No, not at all. And it's the same thing with us. When we deny ourselves and carry our cross, we get to be who God created us to be. We get to step in the fullness of the life of who we were supposed to be. We lay our life down, but God gives it to us magnified and what it really is supposed to be. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. It's amazing stuff. Let's read the next verse. I was going to skip some of this stuff. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Now people interpret this as the afterlife. You know, like I'm taking the stuff of this world and I'm sacrificing the afterlife. And there's truth in that. But soul, what that means is it doesn't, it's not spirit. There's different words for different things. This means the self. The who you are. And of course, the who you are in the afterlife is very important. (laughs) You don't want to lose that. But what this is saying is, you can gain the world, you can have worldly success, but you lose your identity and who you're supposed to be. Have you ever felt like you're living the wrong life? Like this isn't who I was supposed to be. I'm stuck in this thing that's, this isn't me. I'm walking through the world, doing something. I'm fitting into the structure of the world, but this isn't who I'm supposed to be. Have you ever felt like that? All right, there's a few of us. Man, what good is it to have worldly success but miss out on being you? I want to be me. I want to be, I want to be the guy that Jesus meant for me to be. I want to live that life. I want to grab a hold of it. And in order for me to do that, I've got to deny myself, carry my cross, and follow Christ. Then I'm not being self-serving. I'm not doing the things that are superficial, but I'm grabbing hold of the deeper, more powerful things. I'm able to walk in the resurrection power of Christ. Amen. How does this work? How do we do this? You know? Because I want to do it. Let's look at a famous example of someone who laid down his life to follow Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul. We're going to just crank through Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, and then we're going to focus on Verses 10 through 12. So the Apostle Paul is someone who denied himself and followed Christ. He wasn't always that way. He was a mocker of Jesus. He tried to destroy the church. He he was against Jesus. He didn't think he was the Messiah. But then there was a miraculous intervention and God showed himself to Saul, his name was, and then he changed his name to Paul. He was the big fancy man, Saul, named after the first king of Israel. And then he renamed himself Paul, which means small. He said, I'm just, 
I'm, I'm the least of these. He, he redeemed himself small. And here's something that he says. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write you the same things. I'm sorry, to write to you the same things again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless but whatever was to my profit I now consider loss for the sake of Christ he laid it down what is more I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things Paul says I have lost all things I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is... An example of exactly what Jesus would say. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and carry his cross. And this is what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's denying himself and he's carrying his cross. Now Paul said he lost everything. He gave up being a Pharisee. He was climbing the ladder faster than his contemporaries. He was... Making a name for himself. He made the Bible before he became a Christian. He was was important. He was having an impact. And he gave all of that up. Being the fancy religious guy. He gave that up to follow Christ. Did he gain anything? Paul was used by God to write 13 of the books of the New Testament. He gave up his influence in the religious culture and let it all go, considered it all loss, that he may gain Christ. And he got to write 13 of the books of the New Testament. Talk about becoming a man of influence. He gained something in Christ, probably the second most influential human being after Jesus. He didn't just... Give things up and get nothing from God. 
He gave up who he was, denied himself, carried his cross, and he got to write 13 books in the New Testament. He got to start churches all over that part of the world. He got to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Powerful, powerful stuff. He gave himself up to receive who God meant for him to be. He grabbed hold of it. Now, Let's read those verses 10 through 12 again. Because I love those. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. This is the Apostle Paul. He had his road to Damascus experience. He saw a vision of Christ. He was blind for three days. And then he had his eyes opened. He, he had incredible, incredible experiences with God. And he's saying, I want to know. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He says, and I want the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. He's talking about carrying his cross. Sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Being part of the battle between good and evil. Between death and life. Between the powers of darkness and the powers of God. He wanted to be in the middle of that battle. Share in the sufferings of Christ. But he didn't do that without hope. He shared in the sufferings of Christ, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, (laughs) to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Isn't that somehow? I looked that up in the Greek, because I'm like, Somehow, this is Paul. He's like the smart one. You know, like he understands all the theology of everything. You know, and somehow, it could be translated in some way. Somehow this is going to work out. He didn't have it all figured out, the mechanics of it. But he's like, I know that Jesus is the way. And if I follow him through his sufferings, I will follow him into resurrection. I'm going to attain to the resurrection from the dead. He wanted to grab hold of it. So let me ask you this. Well, let's read verse 12. Ah, I'm trying to skip stuff because I've got to get out on time. Right? But let's read verse 12 because it's important. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this. Now, can't we relate to the Apostle Paul now? Not that I've obtained this. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you now, Paul. I got you. You know, this I can say, I've not attained all this. Or I've already been made perfect. I'm still with you. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul knew that God had a plan for his life. And he said, I'm going to live that plan. I'm not going to reject it and go my own way. I'm not going to push it aside and think that I've got a better plan. God has a plan for my life. If the creator of the universe has a plan for me, I want to live it out. And so he's like, I'm, I'm fighting to grab hold of it. It didn't just magically happen. He had to fight the good fight of faith to be able to take hold of the things that God took hold of him for. It wasn't easy. I press on. Not that I've got there. Not that I'm perfect. But I am pressing.
pressing on. I want to take hold of. I want to receive what I'm believing for. Take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Let me ask you this question. What is God's plan for your life? He has one. Do you know what it is? If you know what it is, you can grab hold of it. Now let me tell you, it's not like he tells you, here's my plan for you for the next 60 years. It's like, here's my plan for your next step. I I read scriptures like, his word is a, a, a lamp unto my feet. I think that's pretty accurate for me. I can see the next step. Occasionally I can see a view into the distance, but very rarely. Usually it's just, what's the next step? Okay, I'm going to keep taking these steps. I know if I keep following God's plan in my life, taking each step, I'll end up where I'm supposed to be. I'm not sure where that is. It's a land He will show me. But I'm going to take each step. What is God's plan for your life? He has one. Is it for you to be depressed, purposeless, beaten down, and lost. Is that God's plan for your life? No, that is not God's plan for your life. I know His plan includes you being full of joy, doing things that have eternal purpose, overcoming the obstacles in your life, and finding out who you truly are. That's part of God's plan for you. And there's more specifics that you can walk into individually. How do you get there? Two things are really, really important. You give your life to Christ. You deny yourself and follow Him. You give your life to Christ. Too many people want to give their afterlife to Christ. Jesus wants your current life, not your afterlife. We want to give Him our afterlife and keep this life for ourselves. And we have various, you know, theological gymnastics that we do in order to make that work. But Jesus is saying, if you deny yourself and follow me in this life, Then you can grab hold of this. We have to give our life to Christ. And a second thing is we need to fight for it. We need to take hold of it. We need to battle and keep it. This is living a life worth living. Doing things that are worth doing. How do you get there? You give your life to Christ and you take hold. When will you get there? How about today?